Please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3 for our scripture reading this morning. We'll be reading Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing their days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Amen. So let's begin today with some word association. What word comes into your mind when you hear the word God. Well, some of you might think, well, I think about holy, almighty, faithful, and these are all good words to think about when you think about God. But my hope for you is that you will think of two other words when you hear the name of God, the two words that are found in Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, loving kindness. God is loving And God is kindness itself. Sadly, many people in this world do not associate God with either love or kindness. But it's true. God is loving kindness. We know God is loving kindness because of who God is loving and kind toward. Us. You and me. Now you might say, well, of course God loves me. How could God not be kind toward me? After all, I am such a wonderful person. In America, we are taught about the importance of having a very high, a ridiculously high self-esteem. We think very highly of ourselves, and that's why Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 comes as such a shock to our system. This verse reads, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. So how's that for a look in the mirror at your life before Jesus? Yuck. What are we without Jesus? Without Jesus, we were stupid, selfish, gullible, and everyone hated us. Really? Yes, really. So this is where the love and kindness of God our Savior comes in. Put yourself in God's place for a moment. Now normally when you put yourself in God's place, you are sinning. You are removing God from the throne of the universe and putting yourself there instead. And that is sin. 
But let's just do this for a second, okay? Let's imagine you are God seated on his throne in heaven. You look down on the earth and you see people in the condition that is described in Titus 3 and verse 3. Humans desperately need God to rescue them from their pitiful condition. Now, what will be the pros and cons for God to rescue us? Now, there's a long list of cons for God. The seven negative traits that are listed about us in verse 3. And the pros for God to save us? Absolutely nothing. There is no good reason for God to save us. But because of his love and his kindness, God does save us. Amazing. The gospel then is good news of salvation. So let's look at Titus 3 today and see what is the message of this good news. The good news begins with bad news about you. Do you know how many people start a conversation by saying, well, I've got good news for you and I've got bad news for you. Which do you want to hear first? Paul does not start the conversation like that. Paul just goes straight into the bad news. He goes into the bad news in chapter 3 and verse 3. He lists seven characteristics of Christians and their lives before they met Jesus. You would not call this list of seven things the Magnificent Seven. You might instead call this list the Slimy Seven. In summary, without Jesus, our relationship with God was a mess. We were foolish. We lived like God did not exist. We were disobedient. We rebelled against God and told God we were going to run our own lives. Thank you very much. We were led astray and we were deceived in our thinking. We were slaves to our passions and our pleasures. We have cravings for things that God said we should not seek. And it was not just our relationship with God that was a mess. Our relationship with other people was also a mess. We were malicious. We were mean-spirited toward people. And we were envious of people. So we either wished that bad things would happen to people or we wished that good things would not happen to people. Finally, we were hated both by God and by other people. So we were not exactly lovable. And even though we were desperate for love, could we find love apart from Jesus? No. We were hating one another. We hated other people, and other people hated us. Not a pretty picture, is it? These slimy seven characteristics are true of everyone without Jesus. What a revolting life. Paul wanted the Christians in Crete to be reminded of how ugly their life was apart from Jesus. It was a life of darkness and corruption. It was a life that negatively affected their thinking and their behavior. 
It was a life in which we victimized other people and other people victimized us. As Paul reminded the Christians about the ugly past that they shared, he wanted them to have compassion for those who did not yet know Jesus as their Savior. People don't just need a helping hand. People need a complete rescue. They are lost at sea, and they need one of these life preservers thrown to them so that they might be saved. Paul told the church then, love your unbelieving neighbors who are now what you once were. Now, because everyone here has a very high self-esteem, you might be thinking, come on, Pastor Glenn, these slimy seven characteristics of Titus 3, they were not true of me before Jesus entered my life. No way. If that is what you are thinking, let me give you two other things to chew on this morning. First, look at the opening words of verse 3. Paul writes to Titus there, for we ourselves. So Paul is writing not just the pre-conversion lives of the people of Crete. He is writing about we ourselves. And who is the we? The we is Paul and Titus. So even the best Christians then, the missionaries who are now completely devoted to Jesus with their whole lives, even those people, those people live slimy lives apart from Jesus. The second thing I want you to chew on is this. What is the only thing that the gospel says can save your soul? The death of Jesus the Son of God, on the cross. I could not save myself by my own good deeds. Only God could save me. And it was necessary for Jesus to die in order to save me. There was no other way for us to be saved. So were we all a mess before Jesus saved us? Yes, we were. Did we have any hope before the loving kindness of God chose to save us? None whatsoever. So after Paul gives to us the bad news about ourselves in verse 3, he he finally turns the corner in verse 4 toward the good news that we celebrate. We see the good news of the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior This loving kindness of God first made its appearance in Jesus when Jesus was born on Christmas Day. And the loving kindness of God made its most brilliant appearance when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So what does the gospel that Jesus died for me, what does that say then? The gospel is that I am so sinful that Jesus had to die for me. And yet, the gospel also says that I am so loved and so valued by God that Jesus was glad to die for me. What a gospel we have. Is that amazing grace or what? 
It is. We Christians then are a a mixture of both humility and confidence. We are humble because we cannot look down on anyone. We are all sinners who are characterized by the slimy seven. But we are confident because we have nothing to prove to anyone. God loves me, even me, for no other reason than his loving kindness. The good news for Christians is that God saved you. Now, before Jesus entered our lives as Christians, we were living in darkness. We were depraved. We were corrupt and wicked. And that is when a wonderful word appears in Titus chapter 3, a word that changes everything. Do you see that word at the beginning of verse 4? Do you see that little word? It's the tiny word, but. People act despicably. But how does God act? God acts kindly toward people who are rebelling against him. He is so kind to them that he saves them. And God shows love toward people who hate him. We are reminded of God's incredible saving love toward us in the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 5 and verse 8. Let's read those words together. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was lost in sin, but what did God do for me? He died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin. If I ever doubt that God loves me, where do I need to fix my eyes? On the cross. It's the cross that forever shows me how much God loves me. When I was in sin and darkness... While I deserve nothing but death and the judgment and condemnation of God, God gave me his son, Jesus, to die for me and to save me. Isn't this word, but, a wonderful little word? This word, but, shows up all over the New Testament. We were in deep trouble. We were all in a dark pit. But... But God rescued us. It's because this word, but, is such a wonderful word that I have loved singing the new song that we have been learning at Hope this year. Oh, but God. God can change anything and everything about us. One of my favorite Oh, but God stories at Hope Baptist involves Mark Hewitt, the one who spoke to us early to to thank us for our support of him in his battle with cancer. When I first came to Hope Baptist as a pastor, I, I only knew of Mark through his wife, Kim. In our small group, Kim encouraged us to, to keep on praying for Mark that God would save his soul. And for many years, it appeared like nothing was happening, but we kept on praying Then I went away from the church for a three-month sabbatical in the summer of 2010. 
And who did I see attending our church every single week after I returned in September? It was Mark Hewitt. So what in the world had happened to Mark? Mark has only said this about his life before Jesus. He tells me, Glenn, I was not a very nice person. Oh, but God. God saved Mark. He completely changed his life. Before Jesus entered Mark's life, Mark had no desire to go to church or to read the Bible or to pray. Now, the only thing that they can keep Mark away from church are these chemo treatments that are taking away his energy. Mark loves God, and he loves you. So much that church is the highlight of his week. Oh, but God. So how does God save us? We see in verse 5 that God does not save us because of works done by us in righteousness. No matter how many good works we do, those good works cannot save us from God's judgment. God's standard in judging us is not that we are better than most other people. No. God's standard for judging us is himself. And there is no person on earth that can live up to God's standard of perfect holiness. No one can do that. So God has to take the initiative to save us. God appeared in history in the person of Jesus Christ. And God appears to us individually today when we hear the good news about Jesus. God, though, does not save us because we are good. We are not. God does not save us because we deserve it. We do not. God does not save us because we are lovable. We are not. God does not save us because of anything in us. God saved us because of his loving kindness. He saved us from eternal hell and judgment because of his mercy. God saved us because of his character and virtue, not because of ours. Now notice how many of the three persons in our triune God save us according to Titus chapter 3. God the Father is called our Savior in verse 4. And so is Jesus Christ in verse 6. So please then do not believe the lie and don't spread the lie that the God of the Old Testament is a mean old judge. While the God of the New Testament, Jesus, he he twists the Father's arm into saving us. The Father really doesn't want to do it, but because of Jesus, he'll give in. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all three persons in our one triune God are involved in saving us. They all are united in saving us. God and Christ are both loving and kind and merciful. And what about the Holy Spirit? Verse 5 says that we were saved by the washing of regeneration and renewal 
of the Holy Spirit. When we were saved, the Holy Spirit came into our lives and he washed our sins away. He brought us forgiveness. The Spirit regenerated us. In other words, he made us alive. He gave us spiritual life. He made us born again. And today, the Holy Spirit continues to save us by renewing us and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, we read in verse 6, has been poured out on us richly. God does not just have a little trinkling of the Holy Spirit brought upon us. God instead pours out the Holy Spirit upon us fully so that we might enjoy all of his saving benefits. And the means of our salvation from God's judgment is found in verse 7. There we read that we are justified by God's grace. As we have seen in verse 5, we are not saved at all by our good works. So what does it mean to be justified? The word justified is a courtroom word. It means to be declared righteous by God the judge. God says, if you are a Christian, you are not guilty. You are instead righteous. And here's the remarkable truth for every Christian here today. Brought a a quote with me that I'd like to read to you. Wonderful words. Do you realize that it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? We Christians have already received a verdict from God. And what is that verdict? We are righteous. We are declared righteous by God at the moment of our salvation. When we tell God that we believe that Christ died for our sins, when we turn from our sins in repentance, God gives to us the the word, the verdict of righteous. And that is the verdict we are going to hear on Judgment Day. We already know what the verdict is. You are righteous, not guilty. Now, when we received this verdict from God, when we came to faith in Christ, had we at that moment performed any righteous deeds when we were first saved? We had not. It was Jesus who had performed all the righteous deeds that we needed to please God. All we needed to do was to have faith in Jesus, that he died in our place in order for us to be justified, to be declared righteous. It was our faith in God's gracious act in sending Jesus to die for us. It was that that saved us. What a great salvation. What a great Savior we have in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Here, then, is the difference between the gospel and traditional religion. Traditional religion says, I give to God a good moral record. Here is a list of all the good things that I have done for God. And so God now has to bless me. But the gospel says this. 
God gives to me a good moral record through Jesus Christ. And so I want to bless him. Religion says, well, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. But the gospel says, God already loves and accepts me. Therefore, I want to obey. Salvation by God causes good works, but salvation is not caused by our good works. Do you see the difference between the two? The good news for Christians is that God now gives you a wonderful eternal life. Now, when you stand before God for judgment, there is more than enough evidence against you to convict you, isn't there? The verdict from God, when he looks at your life, must surely be guilty, right? Oh, but God. God's goodness and love and mercy intervene for us. They intervene for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The guilty sentence that we deserve is passed on to who? It's passed on to Jesus. Jesus dies in our place and he takes our penalty. So what verdict do we receive from God? Because Jesus has taken our place. Not guilty, righteous, innocent, justified. Because we are now justified, we receive life. Paul writes in Titus verse 7, chapter 3 and verse 7, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the fact that we desperately need a Savior. We need Jesus to save us. We then put our faith in Jesus alone to save us. And faith in Jesus, that makes us justified. Jesus himself was justified. Jesus was declared righteous by God when he rose Jesus from the dead. By raising Jesus from the dead, God was saying that Jesus was no criminal who deserved to die on a cross. Jesus instead was not guilty of any sin. He was a righteous man. His resurrection showed that he lived a perfect life. And he was a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Jesus then was justified, and we are justified as we have faith in Jesus. So as a Christian, you are justified, declared righteous today. But what about your future? Because you are united with Jesus in being justified, you will be united with Jesus in having eternal life. You are going to be an heir with Jesus, according to verse 7. You are going to enjoy all the blessings of heaven as part of Christ's own family. When I was deciding where to go to college, I made the decision to go far away from my home in Connecticut and to go down to college in North Carolina. And so when Short holiday weekends came up when I was in school. I was often invited home by one of my friends from school. 
The parents of my friends said that I could join them. They welcomed me into their home for the sake of their son. It was only my relationship with their son that meant that I could sit in their dinner table. I could enjoy their company. I could sleep in their home. Church, because of your relationship with Jesus, you are now an heir of heaven and eternal life. It's not because of anything in you that you are now an heir of heaven. It's all because you know Jesus. You know God's son. And because you know Jesus and love him, that has opened wide for you the door to heaven itself. God is going to give to you the joy and the inheritance of the new creation of heaven, all for the sake of Jesus. We have been saved then from God's judgment. And we have been saved for a wonderful life, for eternal life. Well, how should we live our lives on this earth before we go to heaven? Verse 8 says that we should devote ourselves to good works. The grace of God changes us. We no longer live selfish and disobedient lives. We now have the desire to do good works, and we have the power to do good works through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In all three chapters of Titus, Paul is encouraging the church, do good works. In chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says that unbelievers are unfit for any good work. In chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says, Jesus purifies for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And here in chapter 3 and verse 8, we see that Christians are devoted to good works. Our good works do not save us, but our good works are a sign for us that God has saved us and he has changed us our lives. Now, it would be spiritual malpractice for me as a pastor, as a doctor of your souls, not to ask you today, are you sure today that you have been saved by God? Are you sure of that fact? Because of his love and his kindness and his mercy, God wants you to be saved from his judgment. He wants you to enjoy eternal life as an heir of the beautiful new creation of heaven. It is urgent for every single one of you here to know without a doubt that you have been saved. So how do you know that you have eternal life in heaven waiting for you? Let me ask you three diagnostic questions today so that you might know what your future holds. The first diagnostic question is this. Are you trusting in your own good works to save you? Or are you trusting in Jesus alone and his work on the cross to save your soul? Your good works cannot save you, Paul says. Only Jesus saves. So is your faith in Jesus alone? 
If it is, then you have salvation. The other two questions that I want to ask you this morning have to do with good works. First, do you want to do good works for God? Is that the desire of your heart, to do good for God's glory? Only people who are saved have a changed heart. Only saved people actually want to do good works for the glory of God. The third diagnostic question is this. Has God given to you the power to do good works? The power to do good works is from the Holy Spirit. And only people who are headed to heaven have the Holy Spirit living in them and the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. I want all of you to be sure that you are going to heaven one day. And so I'd like for us to pray together. Let's close our eyes. With our eyes closed, I want to ask this morning if there are some people who would say, Glenna, I am not sure what verdict I will hear from God on Judgment Day. I am not sure if God will declare me to be righteous. If that is what you think today, would you, would you mind raising your hand so that I might pray for you? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. I thank you, O oh God, that we are not saved by our good works. If we were saved by our good works, we would never know if we had done enough. All we would know is that we fall short of God's holy standards. And so I pray for each one who raised their hand here today, that they might know that it is Jesus and his good work that saves. It has nothing to do with us and our good works. I pray also for those who raised their hands, that they might find within themselves an increasing desire to do good works. I pray that they would see that you have given to them a new heart. And I pray, Lord, as well, that you would be at work in their lives to cause them to have the power to do these good works. Thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in your people. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would live in each of us. Thank you, O God, that you want us to be sure of eternal life. I pray that everyone here would know where they are going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.